0: I'm Tanzina Vega, host of The Takeaway, and you're listening to Politics Brief from WNYC, bringing you the very best coverage of the 2018 elections. You'll hear segments from my show, as well as the Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and the New Yorker Radio Hour, plus the work of the award-winning WNYC newsroom, which is following all the local New York and New Jersey races. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC.
1: The Democrat platform is a 2018 Socialism Open Borders Edict. A fair shake for working
2: families is on the ballot. Perhaps most importantly, the character of our country. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning and happy Election Day, if it is a good morning as Eeyore might say, and if it is a happy election day, I know many of you in our area might be experiencing a little PTSD this morning, remembering the morning after the 2016 election and waking up in shock and wondering things like, what am I gonna tell my daughter? And obviously, some of you listening voted for Donald Trump two years ago, and that's democracy. But with a sense of place here in the greater New York area, We know many more of you might be having a little PTSD today. We will follow whatever breaking Election Day news there is during our show this morning. We will share tips and information that might help you vote, however you're going to vote. We'll take lots of calls. We're already seeing reports of some malfunctioning voting machines in a few places in our area and long lines. I voted at 620 this morning and was number 23 at my polling place, which is a lot of people voting in those first 20 minutes. I typically vote that early before I come to work. And 23 by 620 is a lot. So we'll take calls. With your reports from the polls, especially in contested areas around our region, we've got WNYC and Gothamist reporters out in the field at polling places, and we've got some other special guests along the way these next two hours. Our first call-in this Election Day morning has to do with the massive gender gap that the polls are indicating. We will call it an informal, unofficial, thoroughly unscientific Brian Lehrer Show exit poll question, Only this, to start out, how many of you are voting today differently from your significant other of the opposite sex? 212-433-WNYC, 433-9692. You are invited, if you are voting differently in any race today, from your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, and in this case it would be your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend in a heterosexual relationship, for obvious reasons, since we're trying to gauge how the gender gap Is playing out in our area. Who's in that boat this morning? Are you? 212-433-WNYC, 433-9692. Husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, of anyone who is voting differently from you in these gender gap times, give us a call and tell us what race this has come up in for you, what kinds of conversations about it, you've had with your significant other, and maybe why you think your politics are different at this time. 212-433-WNYC. If you are voting differently in any race from your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend of the opposite sex or opposite gender today at 212-433-9692. And as your calls are coming in, we welcome our first election day guests, Charlotte Alter national correspondent for Time, has been writing about women's massively increased involvement in politics since the 2016 election. And Scott Bland is editor of Campaign Pro for Politico. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Scott. Happy Election Day and welcome to WNYC. Hey,
3: Brian. Thanks for having me.
4: Thanks for having
2: us. Charlotte, you wrote last month about how the election of Trump Begat the Women's March and the Women's March begat local organizing all over the country. Are we seeing a culmination of that in women led get out the vote efforts today?
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, even if you just look at what we're seeing in Georgia, where uh, thousands, hundreds of domestic workers have knocked on thousands and thousands of doors led by uh, the National Alliance of Domestic Workers, you know, they, uh, sorry, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. you know there is a tremendous amount of enthusiasm on the ground from these women who uh... you know see this as a critical moment for the issues they care about for the people that they care about and they're basically really putting their back into it and they're doing absolutely everything they can to get out the vote
2: you have a stat in your article that the new progressive pro-democrat groups called indivisible and there are indivisible branches all over the country that have sprung up these past two years, tend to be female-led and 70% female in their membership. Can you talk about why and where a little bit?
3: Yeah, so that number comes from a Harvard political scientist who has studied both the Tea Party and Indivisible. And in a lot of ways, Indivisible is... Is specifically modeled after the Tea Party. It was started by two um, congressional staffers who were on the other end of the, of the Tea Party rage. They were the, they were Democratic staffers that got all the phone calls from from the Tea Party, so they knew what worked and what didn't. And they uh, they started this guide called the Indivisible Guide, and people all over the country began to use it to form their own groups. And what this Uh, professor, her name is Theda Scotchpole, what she found as she went around to uh, these groups in, these were all in swing states that she did this study. Um, So it was in North Carolina, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, She found that these groups were overwhelmingly led by pairs of women or, you know, small groups of of women leaders. Um, Their leadership was overwhelmingly female. And most of the people who showed up to the meetings were women, and in my reporting on these groups, uh, you know, I, I visited a couple groups in North Carolina for that story. You know it would there would be a, a room full of people, and then maybe two or three of them would be men. Um, and Scott's poll says that that's really not what she saw when she was reporting on the Tea Party.
2: Really interesting. Scott, you wrote last week that the Democrats had just raised on Halloween their 100 millionth dollar in campaign donations. For 2018, congressional candidates—a massive midterm haul. How does that compare to other recent
4: elections? Uh, it, it completely blows it out of the water. And and that hundred million was uh, specifically only online, um, huh. which which is uh, that, that that's a really unprecedented uh, thing that we've seen uh, this time this time around. And we, there's just been an exponential uh, growth in the number of. Uh, democratic supporters who are donating to individual congressional candidates uh, via Act Blue, which is the, the the democratic fundraising platform that that most candidates use for for online donations and they, uh, they keep track of all sorts of stats uh, around the stuff, and a lot of that has been driven by by women uh, as well uh, but what we 've seen It's just flooded money into the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, into all sorts of different campaigns across the country, and uh, a lot... It's it's really kind of turned a number of races on their head, because you've got Republican incumbents in some areas who have never really run a competitive election before, all of a sudden facing candidates who not only just have this popular energy behind them from local groups like Indivisible or other activists, but are able to run these viable professional campaigns that are really putting some of them on defense.
2: Who gave all that money? I mean, the Republicans and certain anti-Semites would have you believe it's all Joe Soros, um, <laughs> but if it's coming from online donations, I have a feeling he's not going to some online site and, uh, you know, clicking, I donate uh, 12 million dollars.
4: No, this is this is uh, this is not George Soros. This is coming from millions of people uh, around around the country. I mean, it's all you know. They're huge files, right? Because we're talking about you know hundred million dollars just to one group. But you, you can download the, the the files off the the FEC website and and take a look for yourself. People are giving in increments of one, five, ten, fifty, a hundred dollars or more, and and you can see you know the average online donation to a lot of these candidates is is in the ballpark of forty, fifty, sixty dollars. These are this is the uh, accumulation of hundreds of thousands millions of, of activists deciding that they, they you know they, they want to do something to try and help a candidate who may or may not be from their neighborhood
2: right And because you uh, report on both parties, how does this compare to Republican congressional committee donations for today's election in some total or in donation size or however you want to characterize it?
4: Yeah, it's, re- it's actually really hard to do a one-to-one comparison because there's no equivalent of ActBlue on the Republican side. This is a- a- ActBlue was started over a decade ago as this uh, uh, non-profit that um, would, you know, basically offers itself to uh, any Democratic, essentially any Democratic campaign that wants to use it as a, a tested, uh, secure platform for-, for donating. Republicans have, you know, a, a dozen different entities that-, that do this sort of thing, and they, they all kind of compete with each other. And so it's much trickier to to make a one-to-one uh, comparison on the Republican side. What we can say is that, Largely because of this online money coming in, um, dozens upon dozens of House Republican incumbents have been outraised uh, this year. The, the National Republican Congressional Committee has been outraised by, by mm-hmm. its Democratic counterpart. And down, down the line, we see that, that, you know, especially the online money, the small donors have made a big difference.
2: And Charlotte Alter from Time, you wrote about groups focused on women of color, like Woke Vote and Black Votes mm-hmm. Matter doing hyper-local get-out-the-vote events in recent days. What kinds of things like that are you seeing?
3: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, back, back to, to Georgia, where a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of this activity is happening, we are seeing, you know, so typical get-out-the-vote efforts, you do it with a, with a voter file, and the voter file tells you, uh, you know, lists the people who are already likely voters, right? So, so these are people who have already shown up to a lot of different elections, and, you know, the canvassers want to go and make sure that they show up to this one. Um, but what happens with that is that a lot of people in communities of color, particularly in rural black communities in the South, are so disengaged from the political process that they don't show up on that file. Um, so you have groups that are going door to door in these uh black and brown rural communities in the South and in rural areas of uh, Florida and Georgia specifically. Um, and they're using kind of different strategies to get people to register to vote and to get people to the polls. And actually, the, the New Georgia Project, um, which was a group that Stacey Abrams helped found a couple years ago, now she's running for governor in Georgia, they've registered uh, almost 300,000 new black voters just in the last four years. That's a ton of voters and it's definitely the kind of thing that could tip an election like this and it's probably one of the reasons why Brian Kemp is getting a little nervous about, about about voting in Georgia.
2: The Republican running for governor of Georgia and your article says it's not that Democrats are being pulled left, it's that they're being pulled local. Can you explain that?
3: Yeah. So this is one of the things that I think people, national observers often uh Make a mistake when 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 talking about the Democrats, especially when we have very um, you know high profile figures like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Bernie Sanders, um, who have who have really uh, sort of taken the, the national spotlight a lot. So there is this idea that Democrats are being pulled towards socialism, and that everybody wants Medicare for all. Um, that, that is true in some places. I mean, for example, the voters in the Bronx who elected Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez certainly do want those things. And there is a tremendous amount of energy on the further left, more progressive wing of the party. But intensity and ideology are not the same thing. And so what I found in reporting on this movement this entire year is that there are also very intense moderates in the Democratic Party who are just as committed, who are just as fired up, just as passionate, but they're not necessarily going as far left as you mm-hmm. know some national observers think. And so, uh, but one of the things that I found really interesting this year is that unlike what we saw in the 2016 primary, there isn't as much squabbling between the the, the two. Uh, wings of the party as you would expect. And there's kind of a sense of like, you know, hey, if you are in Detroit and you want to vote for Rashida Tlaib, who, you know, has been endorsed by the um, Democratic Socialists of America, that's great. You should do that. That's wonderful. You know, if, if you're in Detroit, vote for her. If you're in Holly, Michigan, you know, maybe, of you know, not, several not not miles Not far north, away, right? Yeah, you should, you know, vote vote for uh, Alyssa Slotkin, who doesn't, I, doesn't identify as a socialist at all. She's an Got extremely it. moderate Democrat. And so it's kind of like what works for voters in the Bronx doesn't work for voters in Kansas, and it doesn't have to.
2: Scott Bland from Politico. One of the stories this morning, as you know, is that the Trump people put out a closing ad in support of Republicans that was deemed so racist that even Fox stopped airing it after a while, Both Fox and NBC had run it for a while. CNN had refused from the start. It had to do with Latinos as criminals. I don't have to offend further by going into any more detail. Are you familiar with how Fox in particular came to pull that ad?
4: Uh, I'm not familiar with the particulars behind behind the decision. No, but it, it you know it, it was emblematic of what we've seen uh, the president trying to do uh, over the last few weeks of the campaign, and it, it really speaks to uh, this this break, this sharp break between uh, what's what's going on in in the House and kind of the national electoral environment and the Senate, which is one third of the seats are up and it's it's a very different slice of america it's it's uh ten uh, Democrats running for re-election in states that Donald Trump won, uh, five of them by double digits in in 2016. And there, there's a sense, um, even among some Republican operatives, that um, Trump has uh, kind of focused on firing up the, the Republican base in some of those states to help Senate candidates uh, to the detriment of House Republicans running for, for re-election or, or in open seats in uh, more moderate Uh, especially suburban seats around the country.
2: Charlotte, I don't know if you've covered a Democratic corollary to that. If Trump is running, be very afraid of these brown people closing argument ads. Um, You know, we heard the Obama clip at the top contrasted with the top clip, I mean with the Trump clip, Um, but is there a closing argument that Kind of spans this coalition of more centrist Democrats and more leftist Democrats you were talking about before can you see it
3: yeah I I, I can see it I think that it you know it's it's interesting because uh, I think that there absolutely is a unifying message but I don't know that anybody has articulated it as well as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did at Networks Nation a couple months ago which was a, a, a liberal conference and she said it's time for the Democrats to come home and what she meant by that was to recommit to you know, deeply progressive values, uh, you know from the from FDR's time. But that message of coming home of recommitting to uh, to to family values, to American values of Democrats, as the party that helps people take care of sick people and their family, as the party that keeps families together at the border, as you know the 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 party that, Respects, you know, people's right to marry who they want to marry. That's the message that I'm seeing on the ground mm-hmm. here. And overall, people, the thing that people really care about in this election, from what I've seen in my reporting, is health care. And Democrats have run a really, Democrats have a really strong message on health care, which is that, hey, Republicans tried to take away your health care and we helped you keep it. To so vote for us. I think that's really their message.
2: And I guess we'll see if that's enough to take the House or maybe the House and the Senate and how many governors and state legislature seats uh, when Trump and the Republicans are running on identity and what kind of a country we want to be. We will see if the health care message as central Uh, is enough to sway it tonight. For now, we leave it here with Charlotte Alter, national correspondent for Time, and Scott Bland, editor of Campaign Pro for Politico. Thank you both so much. Happy Election Day again.
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You're listening
0: to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be right back after a quick break.
2: And listeners, we're collecting your polling place stories On our Twitter feed. We'll take calls on that later in the show as well. But if you're having a good experience or a bad experience, or if there's anything you want to report from a polling site, tweet it at Brian Lehrer, and we'll read some of them on the air, and we'll take your calls on that later. But right now, to our call-in for these gender-gapped times, if you are voting differently in any race... From your spouse or your boyfriend or a girlfriend of the opposite sex or opposite gender? How is he or she voting? And how are you voting today? 212 433 WNYC with a record gender gap being measured by pollsters leading up to today. 212 433 9692. And Stacy in Fanwood, you're on WNYC. Stacy, thank you so much for calling in. Hi.
5: Hi, Brian, Longtime listener, first-time caller. Thanks for taking my call. My husband and I are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, and the last two years have been some of the most challenging times in our relationship. Um, I have, we have two young girls, though, and I brought them to the Women's March in Morristown, New Jersey, last year. Um, uh, just uh, trying to make sure they know that I've done everything I can for their, their rights mm-hmm. and their future in this country
2: and how do you and your husband talk about this
5: well uh in the early days after trump was elected not much at all uh the they would tough to, to talk about anything uh but we've had a lot of sort of time to let those wounds get over a little bit and now we've had some sort of more open dialogues about the issues that are important to him and the issues that are important to
2: me and so how's it Playing out on election day, is it particular candidates or how is this expressing today?
5: Well, I live. We live in New Jersey, so we have uh, two pretty terrible options here for Senate. But um, I'm voting my party line. I'm voting for Bob Menendez to keep the seat blue, and uh, and he's doing his thing on the Republican side, voting for Bob Keegan. Uh I know he's going to do it. He knows I'm going to do it. And, you know, I guess we kind of cancel each other out in this mm-hmm. state, but it's important that we both, that everybody gets out there and votes today. Stacy? Um, I'm not sure what dinner is going to look like tonight, our dinner time <laughs> conversation, but uh, we'll be watching the results later.
2: Let's see. How about blueberries and beets? So you've got the. Blueberries
5: that. and beets. That's kind of an odd combination but you know what brian
2: i think it could work just like we do <laughs> stacy thank you very much for your call you know what we've got a lot of that same story coming in the particular race that she referred to i think our next caller is going there too michael in montclair michael you're on wnyc hi
1: hi, hi brian long-time listener first time caller
2: very so you and your wife different
1: well, we I, my, I'm independent. She's Democratic. We always vote, you know, in our 20 years Democratic. Uh, we're polarized on one uh, candidate, and that's Bob Menendez. Um, I and I, I I'm vo- I voted already. I'm a I'm a I'm a mail-in. She is not going to vote for him, despite my entreaties. For her and it encapsulates, I think, a, a wider de- national debate about uh, uh, that everybody struggles with, both parties, and that is uh, the, the you know, holding your nose and voting for the guy who's going to represent your values, even though he doesn't represent your values. And you know, it, it's emblematic of the Republican Party and. And voting for Trump because they uh, like his policies, but and look away from and hold their noses
2: mm-hmm. when the, about they the individual. support him.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and you know and and it's just you know I uh, know that Menendez has not been convicted of any crime, but there's enough evidence on the table right. that a lot of people are shying away from supporting the candidate despite his very progressive record who has been accused of, with very credible evidence.
2: Michael, thank you for your call. We'll go next to Carla in Stamford. Carla, you're on WNYC. Thank you so much for calling in.
0: Thank you, Brian. Um, my husband and I are completely and utterly on the other side of um, each other politically. He was born and raised in Ohio um, by Republican parents. I was born and raised in uh, the New York suburbs, also Republican uh, parents, but I'm a very progressive Democrat, I have to say that my husband, since Trump, did let go of his Republican affiliation and went independent, but I'm confident that he's still voting Republican. And, um, you know, it's we're both political animals, so it's very interesting in our household how we handle it.
2: How much do you think the differences between you are gendered in any way. That is because you're a woman, it influences how you see things. I know you talked about how you each grew up, but at this moment when there's such a gender gap in politics and for people who don't know, a gender gap generally means uh, the difference between men and women, um, in the same races if a candidate gets let's say 60% of the total vote uh but they got 80% of women and just 50% of men that's a huge gender gap that's what the gender gap is so how how much of it in in your case if you've thought about this at all do you think comes from gendered interests gendered perceptions anything like that
0: oh i i completely think it's gender issues However, my husband does not subscribe to that. He denies that, and um, I'm not sure what else a man can do these days. I mean, how could you how could you agree if you're a, a guy? Um, how could you agree that the things that the Republicans are putting forth, which block women's rights, are okay, and still live in the household with? a person who knows that that's not true i mean you you just he's in denial i think <laughs> i think he's in denial what and, can i tell you and how do you and, and i think Go ahead. but but for me it's clear that the uh trump and republican agenda is so anti-woman and so gender-based it's but i also think it's uh very anti-progressive politics, period. And if you are somebody who's grown up thinking that progressive politics is really socialism or that terrible word, communism, then you're going to vote against it. And I think that that's where my husband is also. However, I'm clear that even though the Democratic Party has had terrible problems fighting against itself um, during the last election, Mm -hmm. it is the party that does work for the American public. And I believe firmly that the Republican Party is basically for its own self.
2: Carla, there you go. Thank you very much for for your call. We really appreciate it. Good luck to you and your husband as we continue for another few minutes with this call-in for these gender-gapped times, one of several Election Day call-ins we're doing this morning. If you are voting differently in any race, from your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend of the opposite sex or opposite gender how is he or she voting and how are you voting today 212-433-WNYC 433-9692 and we'll go next to Reetha in Babylon. Reetha you're on WNYC. Hi. Hi Brian. How are
6: you? I'm a recent listener and first-time caller. Thanks for taking my call. Glad you're on. Thank you. So my husband and I, uh, we are, I'm a registered Democrat. He's registered as independent. And um, I was telling the woman that answered the phone that in the last election, I'm not quite sure how he voted. And in this election, pretty much we voted um, along the same uh, lines in most of the races. But then there are a few races that I'm not quite sure how he voted because he doesn't tell me.
2: So, so that's he, does, one of our big he doesn't tell you. Why do you think yeah. he doesn't tell you?
6: Well, he doesn't tell me because he says I can't. I cannot force him how, which way to vote. He doesn't believe in voting along party lines. He really believes in um, you know looking at the candidates and if they are in a different party, he's happy to vote for them even if they're in a different party. If you know they what they their platform matches his values. But he's really very much like, you can't tell me who to vote for. However, mm-hmm. in the primary, he did ask for my suggestion, and I think he went along with my suggestion in the, in the primary.
2: How much do you think any of these differences between you are gendered, that they come from, you know, your interest, or your perceptions as a woman compared to his as a man?
6: Yeah, I I think much of it is. Um, He's very much like, I don't want to vote for, um, he himself does not want to vote for a candidate that he thinks is um,
0: a jerk to
6: keep it clean. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I vote for um, um, a black woman, very progressive, um, childcare, healthcare, civil rights, racial justice are the important issues for me. And um, I think a lot of that, you know, may, may be because I'm a woman, I'm a mother, and his is he's really just like, you know, if you're a jerk, I'm not voting for you. So I think some of it is it has to do with gender along those lines.
2: Aretha, thanks for checking in. Happy Election Day and call us again, okay?
6: Thank you, Brian. Okay, bye-bye.
2: Happy, uh, Abby in Teaneck, you're yeah. on WNYC. Hi Abby. Hi, Abby.
7: Hi, how are you?
2: Good. Voting so, um, today? Did you vote already? Yeah,
7: so I voted this morning, but my husband it refuses to vote.
2: Refuses <laughs> to vote. Does he often yeah. refuse to vote?
7: Yeah, he didn't vote in the last election either. He just feels like he, his voice will not be heard no matter what, and he doesn't have enough education of the candidates, and he just thinks he should be sticking for himself, so he's just not going to vote.
2: <laughs> and so how do you come to the conclusion that you have enough education about the candidates?
7: I did some research and I talked to some, you know, friends of different views and tried to gain in my own knowledge, but, you know, kind of, I'm, um, you know, I voted to the left. Um, but also I, in general, I just think no matter what, even if we're not ed- as educated as we should be, we have the right to vote and we should definitely use it.
2: Hmm. And do you think your politics are different from your husband's or is he just totally unengaged, disengaged from politics?
7: we i think we're actually pretty similar in our politics but um he just he has these different views um and i i mean he has a right to his own opinion so it it is upsetting at times but he doesn't want to vote he doesn't have to vote but i did bring my son this morning Mm -hmm. um and actually my dad he's a radio host harvey wasserman he's very liberal and to the left and my mom definitely voted to the right so
2: what do you what do you say to your son about the fact that your husband doesn't vote? If you talk about it at all,
7: well, he's too. But oh. <laughs> um, eventually, um, you know, I, I everyone has is, has the right to their own opinion, and I do respect it. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, it is still upsetting to me. I mean, I have, I live in a very diverse community where we all have different. Um, I live in the Orthodox Jewish community, so uh-huh. half of us are liberals, half of us are Republicans. So we're always dealing with differences of opinions. You know, at the Shabbat table, everyone's always discussing things. So I think it's important to um, teach my son that, you know, we we have to respect each other's opinions.
2: Abby, thank you so much for calling in. You call us again. Now, here's we've we've said spouses and uh, boyfriends and girlfriends to get at this gender gap difference in how people are voting today here's a gender difference caller except it's across generations Lorraine and Scarsdale are on WNYC hi Lorraine
8: hello there
2: happy election day
8: oh gosh I'm looking forward to voting with my son the reason for my call is that you know uh, my son and I are at polar opposites on the spectrum he is such a staunch Trump supporter I am not and it created an opportunity for me to put up or shut up. You know, as a parent, you say, I want you to be happy. Doesn't matter what you do, happiness, follow your dream. Mm-hmm. And when this came along, it was my, I had to decide, do I support my son in whatever he pursues or do I have to agree with what he's doing in order to support him? So it was a good opportunity. And I happened to, I, to, to solve that riddle, I bought him his make America great again hat so that. He knew that I didn't support Trump but I supported him and over the past two years we've had a really tough time especially early on uh, getting along and having conversations and where it's morphed into is this this uh, middle ground that we don't agree to disagree we agree to accept each other and we make peace and we we coexist we don't live together but you know he's at college mm-hmm. but um, we can have conversations as long as no one gloats so if Trump takes a hit, we don't gloat. If, if the Democrats take a hit, we don't gloat. We just move uh, along.
2: Sounds like you're working it out. Do you ask yourself as a mom who it sounds like feels strongly uh, against Trump and what he stands for, how did I wind up with a Trump-loving son? How did I raise this person?
8: You know, I know. I think I know why. I think he was very bullied as a kid in school, huh. and he he was never a part of of the the winning team. And I think that this gave him a chance to be part of a winning team, and yeah. it felt really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I think that that is playing itself out because I believe in him. I know who he is, and he cannot support the kinds of things that are going on for uh, for those reasons for very long. And uh-huh. so I'm seeing cracks in this, you know, very firm support of Trump. Uh, but it was, you know, it was really good for him to be part of the winning team.
2: And do you think it's gendered at all? Do you think his relationship to winning or to his having been bullied um, is different because he's a boy and somehow he winds up channeling that into Trump, if that's what channeled him into Trump, and, you know, while you wind up politically different, do you think of it in gender terms?
8: I think it has to be somewhat gender-based, because a bullied girl doesn't gravitate to Trump. I think it is the machismo and the, you know, the, the rhetoric that is very, very male. It has to appeal to, to the guy in him.
2: Lorraine, thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Happy Election Day to you and your son. And that's our first call-in on this Election Day morning, a call-in for these gender-gapped times if you are voting differently in any race from your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend of the opposite sex or opposite gender, and in this case, a mother from her son. Uh, Thank you for all your calls on that. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. Stay with us.
0: Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to WNYC.org slash election.